Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, May 8, 2022. It focuses on God's care for Elijah, one of his prophets, and through Elijah for God's people and a foreign woman. The message to all who will listen is God cares about what his people are going through. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word and what you plan to accomplish through it today. I pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us, and we thank you, God, that you're in this place, that you go with us everywhere, and that we're filled with your Holy Spirit as believers. And I pray, God, that you would convict us and correct us and rebuke us and train us in righteousness through your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So there was this young Christian family. They had three school-aged kids, and they lived next door to a rather vocal atheist who hated everything about their religion. Every morning before her children and husband arose, the woman of the house would step out onto her front porch with a cup of coffee and greet the new day with a loud, Praise the Lord! And every time she did so, her neighbor who was out watering his rose bushes would say, There is no God! As time went by, the family ran into some financial difficulties. The husband lost his job, and they were having trouble buying food enough. Even so, this godly woman went out on her porch with her cup of coffee just as regularly and daily would shout her worship to God. One morning, after voicing her praise, she cried out to God for help with groceries. Her nemesis heard her and replied with great scorn, There is no God! The next morning, when the Christian woman stepped onto her porch, she found bags of food for the local market set on the steps. She saw them and shouted her praise toward the skies. Praise the Lord! What else could she do? At this, the next-door antagonist jumped out from behind the bush. Ha! he shouted triumphantly. I bought those groceries and put them on their porch. There is no God! The woman looked at him and smiled. Turning her face heavenward once more, she shouted, Thank you, Lord, for providing food for my family and making the devil pay for it. <laughs> Probably not a true story. Still, it reminds us of God's loving care for his people and his timely provision in times of need. And I'm pretty sure that even though that story was fictional, that many of you have times in your past when you've seen God take care of you. And I've heard one or two or three or more of you tell those stories. We sometimes forget that there's power in testimonies of God's provision. So don't forget to tell those stories to your kids and your grandkids and to your neighbors and to your friends in the church because they encourage faith and they encourage people to seek God. They are a great word to those who may be rebelling against God, that God is in charge and that God provides. So keep shouting out your praises. Keep loving your neighbor, even if they're kind of annoying. Keep serving God and allow others to see the light of Jesus and bring praise to your Father in heaven. So this morning we're going to look at a number of incidences in the life of one of God's prophets. And we're going to see how God provides for his people and through his people. We're going to see a God who cares for those who are in need. But before we get to the recounting of these events, we need to meet our prophet of the week and see what's happening in Israel as this man of truth speaks forth God's word to a king in Israel 
even worse than Jeroboam, who we talked about last week. A handful of years has passed since Jeroboam's death and the execution of his entire clan. Kings have risen and fallen three times. Violent men have taken the throne by force. Basha killed Nadab, Zimri killed Elah, and Omri killed Zimri. It's kind of a bloody time in Israel's history. King Omri then reigned over the ten tribes of the north. Remember the division of Israel into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, Omri reigned over the ten tribes of the north for twelve years before he died, and his son Ahab succeeded him as king. Show of hands, who's heard of Ahab? Yeah, a few of you have heard of him. Good or bad king? Bad. Bad. Bad to the bone. So, listen to this brief description of him given at the end of 1 Kings chapter 16. The unflattering words concerning Ahab can be found in verses 30 through 33, and I'll read them for you. Here's what it says. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. Ahab is one bad dude. Disobeying God, continuing in the sin of Jeroboam. Remember he set up the golden calves. We talked about that last week. He continued in that sin and he added the worship of another God. All trivial matters to this man. He cares not one bit about God or about his laws. His deeds invite God's anger like no other king's actions have before. To this man, God sends more than one prophet. We'll talk about a couple of them. But the first of these truth speakers is probably the most famous among them. And he is the focus of our time together this morning. We're going to bring Elijah onto the scene now. He first appears in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, and this is what that single verse says. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Let's pause for a moment and think about this. Why would God withhold rain from the nation in response to Ahab's evil doing? Well, here's a possible explanation. Baal was a Canaanite Phoenician god of fertility and weather, especially rainstorms. Could it be that God is making it clear to a worshiper of this supposed god of rain that God is actually the one who's in charge of rain? He's in charge of the weather. I'd say that's more than just possible, it's likely. I'd say that it's the likely reason for the announcement that Elijah gives to the king that only at his word, and by his word he means God's word, will it rain in the next so many years. Early on I hinted that God is a gracious provider for his people. This withholding of rain seems to be a bit of a setback on that front, doesn't it? 
Thankfully, we're not finished with the story. We've just begun. So we're ready for verses 2 through 6. Again, this is 1 Kings 17. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord told him. He went to the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. I remember thinking as a kid that this was one of the cool things that the Bible had for us. I mean, we probably had arch books that had pictures of the birds, but I don't know. I just think it's pretty cool that God provides food for Elijah by sending it via ravens, who probably would have rather eaten the food themselves. So God directs these ravens. They bring him bread, and they bring him meat, and he's drinking from this nice, cool brook. This story still stirs me as an adult, how God can provide in the most amazing ways. God is more than able to take care of his faithful servants. He commands the weather and he commands the birds. He provides by normal and by abnormal means. We can trust him. The story reminds me of Jesus's words found about halfway through the Sermon on Mount. In Matthew chapter 6 verses 25 to 34 we have this from Jesus. Listen and know that these words are for you and for me and all who will choose to follow God. Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, I said it once. I'm going to say it again. God is more than able to take care of his people. He provides in usual and unusual ways. Don't worry. No matter the circumstances, you can trust in God. Elijah trusts in God as he boldly proclaimed God's judgment on Ahab's kingdom. The man trusted God and food and water was provided during the early days of the drought. Then his circumstances changed. Does he still trust? Let's read a little bit more and find out. We're ready for verses 7 through 16 now. Back in 1 Kings 17, starting verse 7. Some time later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? 
As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. The jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word the Lord had spoken by Elijah. I don't think you can imagine a much worse scenario than this one. This woman is preparing to fix one final scant meal for herself and her son before they sit around waiting to die of starvation. She's in this mode, picking up sticks, getting ready to build the fire. She's thinking through all of this, and then this man, Elijah, comes along and interrupts her activity with a request for water. And then he adds insult to injury and asks for bread as well. Talk about rubbing salt in a wound. The woman, she kind of dumps on Elijah here, sharing her whole story, the sad, sorry state of things. The man listens, and then he speaks to her in the name of the Lord. Mind you, this woman is not a worshiper of God, necessarily. She's probably not a worshiper of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She's a Sidonian, and it's quite likely that she was an idolater. Still, God sends Elijah to her, and God provides for his needs and her needs. He provides while her goddess does nothing to end the drought. Here's the thing that strikes me as I watch Elijah interact with this woman. Elijah is confident in God's supply. God has told him that the flour and the oil won't run out, and he believes it enough to take action based upon the truth that God's revealed to him, and he encourages faith in this woman. What did Jesus say? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Food, clothing, drink. Do you believe God can and will meet your needs as you place your life in his hands? Do you know God as your trustworthy provider? Let's worship him together. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Alleluia, alleluia. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and ye shall find. 
Throughout the Bible, in both the Old and New Testaments, God encourages faith in his goodness, trust in his providence. The promises he makes are extravagant and wild and bold, and we can trust them. If a mother who's sure she and her son are about to die can obey God in faith, can't you? This woman didn't even know God's power personally, and yet she trusts. Now, we're going to skip some of the Elijah narrative. We're going to scoot on past the story of the resurrection of this woman's son who dies unexpectedly of an illness. Great story, but we're going to move on past that. We can't cover everything. And so we have, we have to get to Elijah's confrontation with Ahab and this cohort of Baal-honoring priests. This is probably one of the best-known tales from the Old Testament. It ranks right up there with the party in the Red Sea and Daniel in the lion's den and some of those other stories. We're not going to read all of the story because it's long, but I do want to make sure that you remember the important parts of it. So let me briefly retell in my own words a section from 1 Kings 18, and then we'll read a little bit. So we're in the droughts, third year. God tells Elijah to go to Ahab. He tells his man that he's going to send rain. And so Elijah is going to announce the end of this dry period. He goes and Ahab meets with him, calls him a troublemaker, and Elijah says, well, you're the troublemaker. Anyway, Elijah invites Ahab and the prophets of Baal to meet him on Mount Carmel for a showdown which will reveal to all Israel which God is real and which is fake. Elijah's challenge to Ahab and to the people when they assemble is this. It's 1 Kings 18, 21. It says, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. When those words have been spoken, Elijah calls for two bulls to be brought to the summit of Carmel. He suggests an impossible task, one which only a God, a real true God, can pull off as a test to see who is God and who is not. Ahab and the prophets of Baal have no choice but to accept. They've got to save face, right? To refuse would cast doubt on Baal's legitimacy. So here's what Elijah says. I'm reading in 1 Kings 18, starting at verse 22. This is what it says. Then Elijah said to them, that is to Ahab and the prophets of Baal, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us, let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves, and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. If you read the next few verses... You see the Baal-worshipping leaders going all out to get their God's attention. You also hear Elijah taunting them as the day drags on and nothing happens. Listen to his ridicule in verse 27. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. <laughs> Does Baal answer with fire? No. Does God... Well, let's see. I'm going to read a bit now from 1 Kings 18, starting at verse 30 and reading down through 39. Then Elijah said to all the people, this is after all the prophets of Baal have given up. Then Elijah said to the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. 
Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. God does the impossible. He sends a consuming fire to prove his greatness. The people see it lick up the stones and the wood and the bull and the water and everything not a likely scenario, but it happens. Their hearts are turned back to their rescuer and they worship him. What comes of this duel on the summit? Well, Baal worship is set back on its heels. Elijah prays and God sends rain and Jezebel, Ahab's wife, vows to kill the prophet for what he's done because he had put to the sword the 450 prophets that she had set over the worship of Baal. And so we next find Elijah in the middle of nowhere, wondering if God will save him from the queen. God again miraculously takes care of the man's needs. He sends an angel to him, and then he sends him on this long journey to another mountain, one called Horeb. There God is going to meet with Elijah. So we're in 1 Kings 19 now. 1 Kings 19, 9 to 18 tells the story I'll read part of it. I'm going to start halfway through verse 9. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? Good question. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah commences complaining about his lot in life again. He talks about he's, he's the only one left who serves God, and God hears him. God hears him and gives him work to do. He directs him to go and anoint a king or two, and then he promises to give Elijah a companion who will work with him and who will become his successor. When God's man or woman is down in the dumps, thinking all is lost, God gives perspective and he gives help. Isn't that what you've seen in your own journey of faith? 
Hasn't God sent fellow believers at the right times in your life to bolster your trust in God? And hasn't God spoken to you personally through his scripture, through his Holy Spirit as you prayed or read scripture? When you've been down, hasn't God sent help so that you can get up and brush yourself off and get on with the business of obedience to him? Praise God. Praise the Lord. <laughs> he provides. He provides for our physical needs. We need not trouble ourselves over the basics. He provides for our spiritual needs, proving he's more than able to defeat the gods of this world. He provides for our relational needs, giving us friends with whom we can walk this path of faith together. Elijah was faithful and God provided. You be faithful and watch God do his perfect will in your life. I want to urge you now to go to God and to Speak to the one who provides, the one who loves you. Take your needs to him. Praise his name. Thank him for his provision and renew your commitment to follow come what may. Respond as God leads you in this time of silence. Let's take just a few moments before God and rest in him. God, thank you for the ways that you have already provided for us and the stories we can bring to mind of ways that you've done so in the past. And God, help us to trust you in every moment for every need we have. For our physical needs and for direction, for friends who will walk with us, thank you, God, for your church. Thank you for our moms, and especially for those who guided us toward you. And God, I pray that you would continue to walk with us this week. Help us to be obedient to you as we trust and uh, build our faith and help us to be a part of you building faith in others as we provide for their needs as we have opportunity. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.